Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would please, to Deuteronomy. Chapters 4 through 11 was our reading this week, so we'll be a little bit over, but you can turn to chapter 4 as we just start. Listen and learn as we come to our third message in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> We're going to be taking the next five weeks or so as we just continue on and looking at this book from a wide angle view, from a long angle view. Let me ask you, how many times as a parent or as a child have you heard the phrase, be quiet and listen? Maybe it hasn't been that, uh, maybe it's been shut up and listen or be quiet and listen. Or maybe the phrase, listen to me and you might learn something. I'm sure we've all heard something, a phrase like that, something, some equivalent to it. But in it, it's, it's saying you need to listen and learn what I have to say. And in it, you will find a good way of living. So listen and learn, listening and living. Too many times we are so quick to jump to conclusions or think that, you know, we have all the answers. And we understand all that needs to be known about any type of subject or circumstances. But how many times have we been proven to be fooled and tricked by our own folly and foolishness? Especially today when we are living in strange, silly times. It's important for us to be quiet and listen to others. Listen and learn. Last week we considered the first part of Moses' speech as he gives the new generation of Hebrew children a historical review of God's faithfulness that was displayed through his gracious acts of kindness and love towards them as he provides for them, as he is sovereignly over all things, as they begin their final jet leg of their journey to the promised land. We contemplated the importance of remembering our past because it reminds us of God's providence and sovereignty in the midst of present tribulations and trials. In other words, if we take our moment to, to look back, to count our blessings, we see where God has been, and then it strengthens us to remind us that God has provided in the past. He will provide so now for His children. Today we're going to survey chapters 4 through 11 of Deuteronomy as Moses continues to prepare the next generation to enter into the promised land. This week, Moses emphasizes the importance of keeping the law in order to find favor with God and receive his blessings. So with that, let's read together Deuteronomy chapter 4, those first two verses here on the monitor. Again, I want to remind you, bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, please let me know. I'd love to give you one as we're going to be looking at quite a few verses as we go through this section this morning. But we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, And now, O Israel, listen to the statues and the rules that I am teaching to you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the words that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Father, these are wise words. And we too are a generation that needs to listen and live. Live according to your word. I pray that you just give us uh, freedom, Lord, as we come this morning to open up our Bibles. We, uh, we thank you for that freedom to do so. 
Lord, the ability to come and to sing of your praises and to lift up your name, to encourage one another by using our spiritual gifts to lift each other up. But now, Father, as we open your word, help us to understand what you are saying to a group of people so far away and so far removed from us and our culture and society that many times we neglect to learn from it. But even here, this is the word of God breathed out. It's good for doctrine, for instruction and in righteousness, for, for reproof and correction. So I pray that you just give us clarity of mind, freed from distractions. Lord, let us lay aside those things that might be besetting us right now. And we put all things in your hands that we may listen and live. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as a reminder, Moses is calling the children of Israel to be faithful to the covenant that Yahweh has made with their forefathers. This covenant is based on Yahweh's faithfulness to his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the foundation. And after over 400 years later, Abraham's descendants are close to receiving the land that was promised to him. Moses calls them to attention and commands them to listen and live. If you're, if you're hearing anything, listen and live. If you're taking notes, listen and live is going to be the theme of what we're sharing this morning. In the closing of his first speech, so what we're going to see as we get here into chapter 4, we're seeing the closing of Moses' first speech, and then we're going to go into the beginning or the opening of his second speech. Moses has encouraged them to obey the law that was given to them at Mount Sinai. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 6, as he charges them to keep them, keep the law, and do them. And why does he say that? For they will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. So that they who hear all these statues will say, surely this is a great nation that is full of wise and understanding people. Listen and live, because in listening, you will find wisdom and understanding. Live them out, and others will say, look at such a wise nation with a wise and loving God who has given them this law. Continuing in verse 7 of that same chapter, Moses exclaimed, For what great nation is there, speaking of all the nations of the world, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord, speaking of Yahweh, the Lord, our God, is to us whenever we call upon him. This is one who hears us. This is one who knows us, who responds to us. And what great nation, he asked, is there that has statues, speaking of not uh, statues like the David statue or something you would gaze at, but the laws of God. What great nation that has these laws and rules that are so righteous as all this law that it is I set before you today. We live in a country today and around the world are many who rail against the laws of their land. For they claim they are not righteous, they are not just. And I would agree many times as we see these things, they are not. We're looking at rules that, that uh, here in California that we say, why are they continuing to put these hoops and these medical and, and health rules that don't seem to be just and righteous? And yes, we can complain about that, but yet you and I, we are to live our lives by the law that is just, that is righteous. One in which we have a, a king, a God, a ruler who rules in righteousness and justice. The purpose of the law was not just intended to be a list of do's and don'ts. Now this will be a, 
a reminder to many of you, something familiar. The law is more than just a list of do's and don'ts, shalls and shall nots. But they point to and to reveal the character of Yahweh. So the law is more than just a list of things to do, but, but they actually reveal who God is. The God that ordained them would reveal himself to this world through his laws, through his interactions with the children of Israel. It would be through Israel that the promise of redemption would come. The prince would be the one of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we make our way through the books of the Old Testament, it is going to be progressively revealed to us, become more clear from which tribe the the prince would come from, as well as what would be the prince's character, what would be his objective, what would be his purpose and his ministry. Now, as you and I go through this, I want to share with you, I think, five or six revelations of what does the law reveal to Israel and to us today, the word of God. The first revelation in the law, is that Yahweh alone is God. And we talked a little bit about that this morning. There is one God, for there is one God and one God alone. Moses reminds them that idolatry is forbidden. They are warned not to make any graven image or to raise their eyes to the sky or to the earth and worship as the pagans do. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're still in chapter 4. Look at verse 24. And we see this this reason, this why, and this character of God. For the Lord your God, do not do these things. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Three times in this passage, God is going to refer to him or refer to himself and identify himself and, and give his character as a zealous, jealous God, a consuming Fire. You may recall that I've shared before that all of God's law reveal an expectation, a principle behind it, the why, and displays the character of God. In this case, the expectation is to worship no one or no thing other than Yahweh. The principle or the why behind that is because God will judge those who do not worship him. He is a consuming fire. And this law reveals that God is a jealous God. Now, to you and I, this is confusing and can be alarming. Because when we first look at it, it doesn't seem right. We are taught that jealousy is a negative emotion. It is a sin. It is not a virtue. It's not someone we would look and say, look at their jealousy. How great are they? They have good jealousy. His jealousy is like a consuming fire. We would probably not say that is a good character trait. It's not one that we would want to emulate, but yet in Scripture, this is revealed as God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. And this is to draw us to him for others, this would draw us away or or repel us. But to God, it's supposed to draw us to him. However, what you and I need to understand is that in this case, God's jealousy is warranted. It is expected. It is a good trait. God, you see, is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the provider of all things. It is he and he alone that is due worship. Pastor John MacArthur notes that God is zealous to protect what belongs to him. I think it was John Calvin, maybe not John Calvin, but one of the uh, 
One of the fathers once said, uh, our, our church fathers once said that there is not a point of life in, in, in this world that God does not look at it and say, that is mine. All things belong to him. And John MacArthur continues to say that he will not allow another to have the honor that is due to him and him alone. You see, our jealousy is fueled by envy, greed, and covetousness. We want. What is all the things he says in James? Why do we quarrel? Because we, we desire, but we do not have. We want what others want. We want what belongs to another. However, God's jealousy for his name, his righteousness, is righteous and just because it does belong to him. This commandment to worship only Yahweh is the heartbeat of the law. It is what fuels the rest of the Old and New Testament. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, go over a couple chapters. In verses 4 through 5, we read what's called the Shema. This is something that every Jew memorizes as a young person. It's how they begin each and every service. I think it may be a good way for you and I to, to start every morning in sharing this. Look at this in chapter 6, look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is what? One. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You and I understand this as the first and great commandment, right? So what we understand is that the first revelation that God, Yahweh, is the only God, and he's the only God that to be worshipped. Secondly, the law points to God's justice and mercy. We see this in chapter 4 and verse 21, where Moses reminds them of the cities of refuge that they were to designate when they settled in. He's reminding now, when you go into the land, these cities are to be designated as cities of refuge. Now, the cities of refuge were for those that had unintentionally killed someone without malice or anger. It was designed to protect both the innocent life and the relatives of those who had died. It protected the innocent who had killed someone unintentionally without anger and malice by allowing them to live free without the fear of revenge while removing the opportunity of revenge for the relatives. So if you accidentally unintentionally killed someone without anger and malice, you would have to move to one of the cities of refuge. And there you could live free. But you were warned, never leave the city. You are free to live here. You can never go outside its walls because once you left outside its walls, you were no longer protected by that refuge scenario. However, someone who is a relative who is seeking revenge, who says, well, I don't care if the law says that he is not guilty. I want to get my point of revenge. They could not go in and touch someone outside. But once they left outside those walls, then revenge could be exacted. So you see God's justice and mercy. He's putting a place for the innocent and also protecting and restraining those who would seek revenge. The third revelation of the law is pointed out that there's a special relationship between the Hebrew children that they would have with Yahweh, the creator. Look with me at chapter seven, verse six. Again, we're going to be going through some of these chapters pretty quickly. But in chapter seven, verse six, as we see that there's a special relationship. In verse 6, we read, For you are a people holy to the Lord. 
your God. The Lord your God has chosen you as his people for a what? Anyone's there? Just for, for a what? For a treasured possession. Thank you. How? Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you and you alone, God says, I have chosen you. I have adopted you. And you and I who know Romans and know uh, the adoption of salvation, you can see this. Is God is choosing them out of all the peoples and says, you will be the apple of my eye. You will be the one that I choose to treasure. But in verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any more people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The law was given to them out of all the nations of the world. They were chosen by God to be his mediators and ambassadors to a dying world. Their obedience to the law would mark them as different, special. They would serve as a light to all the Gentiles of the world. Moses warns them that this special relationship with Yahweh through living through the law by listening and living would, they would, they would cause them to be hated and despised because of that special relationship. He warns them that they would be, must, be misunderstood and face many hardships due to their faithfulness to Yahweh. But through it all, they remember, they are to remember him and his goodness. Fourthly, because they were his chosen people, his treasure, Yahweh, Yahweh pr promises to protect them, to guide them, to, to defeat their enemies if they remembered and obey his law. Read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as we go one more chapter in verse 2. Moses reminds, reminds them, verse 2 of chapter 8, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. He's going back to history. Let's see what God has done for you. As God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not in the same way. That's why you and I suffer today when we go through hardship. God is testing our metal. He's checking our hearts. Verse 3. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, but yet he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so we are to understand that the law, the word of God, is important for you and I. He goes on in verse 4, your clothing did not wear. Now think of this, 40 years wandering the desert. There is no laundry facility. There is no cleaning there. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Now, amen to that, right? Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. You see, the Lord promises to protect them, to guide them, to defeat their enemies. But yet, even that comes with not only provision, but also discipline. Discipline is part of his provision. God protects and provides for his children. And this blessing comes from his obedience to the word. Now, the fifth revelation of the law is that obedience brings blessing. And you and I understand that. To obey mom and dad is to get their blessings. But to disobey them leads to dire 
consequences. You and I know that this is just one of those principles that works out in almost every area of life. But the revelation of the law is Moses is preparing them. He's wanting them to listen and live as God has called them to do. And one of the things they need to listen to is that you must obey God to live abundantly, healthily with God's provisions and blessings. But if you disobey, there will be dire consequences. Now, turning to chapter 11, we're going to go a few chapters. Chapter 11, look at verse 26. In 26, we read, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. You can always imagine, as he's sitting there and he's, and he's talking to this, this group of people, you can almost imagine, he puts one thing up, here's blessings and here's cursing. Choose which one you want. Verse 27, the blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God which I command you. How do you get blessings? Obeying God. Verse 28, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the ways that I command you today to go to other gods that you have not known. Now, as if you were to continue in that chapter, Moses reminds them of their parents' disobedience in the wilderness when they crafted the image of a golden calf and worshipped it. All the times they murmured and complained against Moses, their leader, and against God and his provision for them. Their ungratefulness and rebellion led them to wander the desert for 40 years. Yet Yahweh forgives them and restores them time and time again due to the pleadings of Moses. Moses, knowing that his time is near, the end is near for him, knowing that they're about to go into a land that is bountifully or bountiful and beautiful, land that is big enough for all of them. He says, you need to remember these two things. Listen and live. There are blessings and cursings in life. Finally, Moses shares the expectations of Yahweh along with a warning going back to chapter 10 and verse 12. God has a expectations. There are things that God requires of his children. Chapter 10 and verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? We'll see this echoed in Micah. What does God require of you as you enter into the, the promised land? Listen and live. What does he require? Simply, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, the Lord your God, with all of your heart and with all your soul in verse 13 to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding for you today, for your what? Good. Now, do most people think of laws for their own good? Are rules put there for your own good? Most likely, no. We've never really accepted that. We may accept that they're there, but we don't always say, yeah, I know these are for my good. Maybe reluctantly, maybe. But he shares the expectations that Yahweh has for his children. Pastor John MacArthur notes that this is a rhetorical question. You see the question mark after that. 
But these rhetorical questions list the five basic requirements that Yahweh expects of his people. Not only them, but I, I believe so today, and you'll see them in here. One is to, to hold God in awe and submit to him. How different would the world look if we did this? Let me ask you, how different would the church look if we truly had God in all and submitted to him? I think we would We'd be flabbergasted. I mean, I'm flabbergasted. I can't think of a word. That was the best word I could think of. To hold God in awe and submit to Him. To conduct our lives in accordance with the will of God. To live as He has called us to do. To choose to set one's affection on the Lord, on Him alone. To have the worship of the Lord as the central focus of our life. And to obey the requirements the Lord has imposed. Let me give you an example. Let me give you just a heads up, by the way. As I'm giving this, I know, well, there's no way I can write all these down. I'll give you a pastor's uh, hint of what to do. If you ever go to a pastor's conference, the one thing that pastors use their phones to do is take a picture of the slide. So if you just want to grab your picture and you're taking a picture of your slide there, I'll, I'll accept that. That's one way you can always take quick notes too, by the way. To hold God in all, to conduct our life in accordance with the will of God, to choose to set one's affections on the Lord and Him alone, to have the worship of the Lord as the central focus of our life, to obey the requirements that the Lord has imposed. These are the ways in which our life is blessed. Listen and live. We may be thinking, but my life, I, I, I want to do these things, but my life is a mess. It, says, sees that, it seems that I'm living in the, the valley of the curses. Well, of these five, are you doing these things? Underline chapter 10, verse 12 of Deuteronomy. Very clearly, this is what God requires of you. You and I will be judged according to that requirement. All of, of creation will be judged by that. A little bit more on that as we go forward. But again, these requirements are based on the character and the work of God. And others you may say, but why should I worship God and God and God alone? Well, I think there's a, a good purpose to that. Why should I? There's so many things that buy for my attention. There are other golden calves that I am worshiping. Why should he be the only one? Well, look at verse 16 of chapter 10. He continues and says, why do I can require this of you? He says, circumcise, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That's again, that's, that's a phrase there to say you, you need to cut some things off and, and be, be uh, uh, obedient to me. He says, for verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the almighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. I require this because this is who I am. I, this is do me. In verse 15, or 18, excuse me, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the sojourner. He given him food and clothing. Verse 19, he tells us to love the sojourner. Therefore, all of you were once sojourners in the land of Egypt. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold him fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. And verse 21 is where I'm wanting to get. And I want you to online what is it, those, those first, what is it, uh, uh, eight verse, words in the ESV. He is your praise. 
He is your God. Why does God require? Why does he expect us? Because he is our praise. There is no one other worthy to receive our worship. For he alone is our God. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrible things that your eyes have seen. He closes in verse 22. Why can God require this? Why can he expect this of the Hebrew children? Verse 22. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. You might remember that from Genesis chapter 50. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. He is our praise. He is your God. He is the one who has blessed you. Even in the midst of your suffering and pain, you went down 70, you came up as numerous as the stars. Some have estimated that there was probably 6 to 12 million Israelites at that time from 70 in less than 400 years or around 400 years. Listen and live. Moses is calling the Hebrew children to listen to the words of Yahweh, to obey them. And in return, they will live fruitfully and abundantly in the land of promise. The call to listen and live is a call to obedience and devotion. Let me say that once again. When you see listen and live, he is calling you to obedience and devotion. The first four commandments is a call to obedience. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. These things are, are to, to obedience. But then he calls us out of those four things to then to live a life of devotion. Those are found in the last six of the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not be a false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet. And I say, why do you say, why are those devotions? Because that comes from us desiring to live like God, to love our neighbors. A devotion to the fact that God has called us to love each other. Yahweh promises that if they obey these commandments, that he will bless and multiply them in the promised land. But he also gives them a warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. You'll see that here on the monitor. Beware lest you say in your heart. So he's telling them, once you are in the promised land, you have defeated your enemies. You are living in cities that you have not built. You are, you are receiving, or you are living with, with gardens that, and, and, and vegetable fields that you have not yet planted. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. And I would say that that attitude mars our obedience and devotion many times today. We think that it's by our power that we have what we have. As you and I know, as we read through the Old Testament, Israel failed miserably to obey the commandments. They failed to worship Yahweh alone. They failed to teach them to their children. And each succeeding generation became worse than the previous one until eventually God defeated 
their land and disperse them. And even today we see the outpouring of God's cursing upon them. We see God's blessing as well, but yet they do not have the land that was promised to them. Now, you and I have much to learn from their mistakes, from their disobedience. Like Israel, we too are chosen people of God. So this is what you and I can learn from it as we go on. Like Israel, we too are the chosen people of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll see this on the monitor. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He uses almost the Old Testament language to apply to you and I, New Testament believers. We too are called to worship God and God alone. We are called to be devoted to living out a life that is pleasing to God. Hence why I encourage you to bring those five things, take a picture of it or make a note of it, because you and I are called to do that from that requirement. Beloved, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage against your soul. We too are called as a kingdom of priests. We are to serve as God's mediators, as a light to the world. We are to live in wisdom and justice. He tells us, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when, you, when they speak against you, not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And I have to tell you, today there are many things that are happening that is very much in this. You and I as Christians are going to be misunderstood. Sometimes uh, deliberately, sometimes uh, not deliberately. But what we need to recognize is that when they call what we say is good evil, and what we say is evil is good, and when they attack us, our lives should be such that when they do attack us, it's not because of any jealousy or any, any quarreling that we're doing, but because we love them. We care for them. And we're living lives that God has called us to do. Let them see your good deeds and glorify God. Not today, but on the day of visitation. So in other words, what's going to happen is it's not today that they're going to glorify God. Though we hope that they would see God through our actions. But on the day when God comes again, those who maligned us, those who spoke against us, they will wind up being speechless when God says, but yet did they not love you, did not care for you? Let me say this as a side editorial note. Those of you who are on Twitter, Facebook, and other ways in which we're doing social media, be loving and kind even to those that would attack you and malign you, whether it's politically, culturally, socially, or just on the word of God. Because some, for some reason we believe that on social media that the laws of God do not are, 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 do not apply, but they do even more so. And we have been guilty of that. So let's, let's use our social media wisely with discretion and sermon, knowing that our desire is not to win an argument. And let me say this, our desire, well, let's say our objective is not to win a political campaign, but to draw others to Christ. Let us recognize that. I don't care what side of the aisle you are, not speaking of the church, but on the political structure, on the social structure, on an economic, it doesn't matter. God is sovereign over all. Our call is to love. Now our love sometimes will be an aroma of life 
because they'll see it and be drawn to Christ. Sometimes our love will be a aroma of a stinking flower that they will reject. But in either way, God's will is being done. And so let's recognize that about listen and live. That was all extra, by the way. But like Israel, we are doomed to fail. We will. We will blow it on Facebook. We'll blow it on Twitter. We'll blow it with our children. We'll blow it with our wives. We're going to blow it. We're just going to blow it. We are going to fail. Because we cannot in our own power fulfill the law of God. Those requirements, those expectations, we cannot do it. Like Israel, we fail. Jesus summed up the law in what he called the first and second commandment in Matthew 27 or 22. It's here on the monitor. You know it. Most of you know it by heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the great and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You will not be able to do that perfectly. As I was doing a wedding second a uh, couple weeks ago, that was one of the marks I made. You are making these vows today, but let me tell you, you will not be able to keep, uh, complete these vows perfectly. You really don't know what you're saying when you say, I do or I will. Because within ourselves, there we do not have that ability. In the end, you and I must learn that we cannot circumcise our own hearts. What God required, we could not do. What we learn is that the law is good, that the law is pure, but in the end, it is holy, but in the end, the law has no power to save. It has no power to change the heart. It may be able to restrain evil for a time. It could change behavior for a moment, but it cannot save. The law was given to point out the holiness and reveal who God is. It was to serve as a guardian for a time to restrain evil and to point us in the right direction and also to point out the futility of self-righteous works. James, the half-brother of Jesus and the pastor of the church of Jerusalem in the New Testament in the first century warns in his letter that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. This is where the world stands, condemned for our failure to conform to God's moral law in our nature, in our attitude, in our actions. We are all waiting the judgment of God who warns in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. But the good news, however, is that Christ, the Prince, the Messiah, the Redeemer, has done what the law could not do. He was able to provide what God required. The writer of Hebrews continues that not only is it appointed on a man once to die and after this the judgment, but in the next verse, he continues to promise that Christ, having been offered once for sin, Bear the, or once offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And I pray that that's you today. I pray that that's you who are watching me, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, whatever. Are you eagerly waiting for the one that you have committed to listen 
and learn and live. The Hebrew children were called to listen and live if they obeyed the law, but it wasn't the law that would save them. It wasn't the law that would save them, but all that the law pointed to. And who did the law point to? Christ. For Christ is the one who was able to do all that God required on our behalf. This call to listen and live goes out to us though today as well. Not that we were all called to obey all the finer points of the law, all 613 points of the law. For scripture tells us that Christ fulfilled all the legal requirements of the law on our behalf. But scripture does call us as God's chosen people to continue to obey him with a devotion that comes from a renewed heart. We cannot circumcise our heart, but we know one who can, the Holy Spirit who took out that heart and gave us a new heart that beats for God. Instead of look and listen, though, Paul uses a different set of words. Seek and set. Seek and set. Colossians chapter 3, it's here in the monitor. Just hold that up for us, if you will. Just keep that there for a while. Paul says this. If then you being raised with Christ, if you've been chosen by God, if you're one of his elect ones, if you're one of those who have put their heart towards Christ, if you're one who's been chosen by him, you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. He tells us, now listen to this as we look at this. He tells us to seek the things that are above, referencing the words of Christ who said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And he says, all these things then will be added to you. This is uh, our vision statement. We want to develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. And like the Hebrew children, we are to trust that God knows our needs and will lovingly provide all that we need to flourish, whether it's food, shelter, clothing. God is faithful to promise or in his promise to care for his children. So for you and I, as we go through this life, as we're taking possession, his kingdom is growing one heart at a time. He's saying is you need to seek the things that are important. Now, there are many important things in our lives, and there are many things that compete for our devotion, compete for our attention. But we need to seek the things that are eternal, not just temporal. Now, yes, many times because of the eternal, we do have to seek some things, you know, employment, food, and shelter for our families, and so on and so forth. But that should not be our main attention. It's to seek those things that are above. But secondly, he then calls us to set our minds on the things of God. Now, this means that we know that we are not of this world. We're just aliens passing through. We are sojourners ourselves, just as Israel walking through the desert and being and living and working and living in, in Egypt. They were still just sojourners. Listen to this. We are not called to advance a political, economic culture or social kingdom agenda. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are called to serve him and him alone. He alone deserves our obedience and devotion. He alone deserves our obedience and devotion. 
Now, this does not mean that we ignore our civic duties. We live in a country in which we are allowed to, to do many things to seek the good of our, of our nation, and we should. But that does not mean that we put our faith in anyone or anything other than Christ. One of the sad things I've seen over these last few weeks are people, whether it was the congressman, I, I, I forget his name at the moment, uh, Elijah Cummings, maybe it was him, uh, RGB, you know, the uh, Justice Ruth Gator business, uh, I'm going to get her name right, wrong. Uh, and then uh, even, and even Trump. People are taking scriptures and applying it to them. You have run your race. You have done these things. Now go into the kingdom. Things that in, in RGB we, we trust. Or what I saw the other day is Trump is my king. These are, these are evangel, these are professing Christians who are saying these things on both sides of the aisles. Their devotion and their worship and their idols, their golden calves are people who will give them what they want. That's your golden calf. A golden calf is anything in which you looked to please yourself and to satisfy yourself. It could be a job, it could be a spouse, it could be an action, it could be a, a pleasure, uh, experiment or some other type of, uh, uh, of thing in life. We're all filled with them. But we need to recognize that God has called us to set our affection on things above and our minds on the things of God. In all, we must not despair of our duty, despair of the enemies that you and I may face, or despair of the circumstances that God is taking us through. Remember this, God is sovereign over all. Christ is coming to judge the world. He is coming to rule in righteousness and to save his people. Once again, let me say, listen and live. May God give us the courage, the strength, the stamina, and the boldness to worship him and him alone. To God be the glory, amen. There we head bowed and every head closed just for a moment. I just want us to pause before we go into communion to consider what we've read here in Scripture. And I'd encourage you to continue reading if you didn't get a chance to read 4 through 11. These things are important. Take time this week to go through your notes. Use them in your devotion. Listen and live. Would you pray and respond whatever the Holy Spirit may be calling you to this morning? that God may be glorified and that our good would be accomplished as we obey and devote our lives. Listen and live. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Help us to listen and live. Help us to trust you. Help us to obey your word, to devote ourselves to you, to hold you only in our devotion. Father, take some time this week to expose the ways that we do not do that. May we repent and confess. May the Spirit renew our hearts. If there's any here that do not know you as yet, they have not made that decision, would you lead them to yourselves today that they may become one of your children? And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. May it be a light to others that they may see you and be drawn to you as well. In your name we pray. Amen.
We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.